So the thing about recording a podcast like ahead of time is that it gives you plenty of opportunity to, to edit it and get everything right, sounding good. You can roll it out in the morning so you can have like an all day kind of thing. It just it's a system that really, really works. The problem is, is that when you record ahead of time before things happen, you can be outdated like as soon as you get done recording. And the way this works this time is we're recording this on Sunday afternoon. As every one of you listening already know, Auburn baseball plays super, super late um, uh, in this super regional. Auburn's up 1-0. They can't lose the series tonight. So by the time you're listening to this, Auburn is either on its way to Omaha or there will be a huge game three on Monday night. Um, so talking about like what happens in the series or anything like that, one, I, we're not qualified to do that. That's why we had uh, Bennett Durando on last week in our premium pod. If I'll say this, if Auburn goes to Omaha, we will have the premium podcast this week. We will preview the College World Series, if it happens, with Auburn in it with more guests who are who cover the team, right? Um that's that's our plan. But Banner, you watched the game on Saturday night. I watched most of it. Um man, I mean this 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 Auburn baseball team, like we can just talk about stuff that has like really nothing to do with the actual sport itself cuz again, we're not well equipped to talk about it, but um I think just from a general like knowledge of sports like, that that this Auburn team, they hang tough, man. Like, cause everything went wrong in that first inning, and it looked like it didn't affect them at all from the rest of the rest of the way. The boys, they have spunk. Yeah, yeah. And Sonny Deshare is like one of the most fun Auburn athletes in recent memory. I mean, I think you'd have to put him up there with like the great cult heroes of Auburn lore, um, at least in the modern era. Did you see the stat during the game that it was like his OBP was at some I can't remember what the what the number was, but it was like the last one to finish the season like that in Armor history was Frank Thomas. <laughs> like literally one of the best to ever play baseball and the best to ever play baseball at your school. The big hurt. We love it. Yeah. And it's just he crushed that ball in the first inning. Bobby Pierce had a great home run, but yeah, Auburn's bullpen tough environment like we talked about it with Bennett last week it's so hard to get to Oregon for one um it's graduation weekend there and the crowd was big and lively and I mean they were wearing sweatshirts it looked very cozy yeah Oregon State takes baseball super seriously we compared them to kind of like the Mississippi State of the Pac-12 where it's like yeah they have had some success in the past with baseball and basketball or football and basketball and Sports like that, but like baseball's their thing. Baseball's their thing that they 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 want to be the baseball school. Um, and you know they've won three college world series in the modern era. Like they're really really good. Um, and I mean that's like that's so hard to come in when your starter has like fifty pitches and gets one out, and you're gonna have to go pin the rest of the way. And I mean you you're walking right into the teeth of of a really tough situation. And, I mean, freshmen, underclassmen that haven't played a ton this year, they just walk in there and just get outs. They just get outs against a team that has a lot of pop. And it's just, I mean, number three team in the country for a reason. I'm seeing a lot of goatees these days. Is the goatee making a push back with baseball players? Certainly the mustache broadly has done so in pop culture, and I'm seeing some baseball players bring back the stash. But the goatee, the goatee seems to be a little more prevalent. Oregon State's got to do with a killer mustache. One of their outfielders, I noticed. Yeah, the goatee. I don't know. I as a as a per. I mean, if people have ever seen me in real life, which is you, you have to basically do it in person because I don't. I don't there's not very many pictures of me by design. Um, I, I can't grow facial hair like at all. Um, Painter, you you always have like a either a beard or like an acceptable level of like. I don't know what would you call it. What would you call like what? It's you, probably. What you, I don't know if it's shadow, but you know, yeah, a little, yeah, Real, little scruff. I mean, you know, yeah. some people have called me the most handsome man, but yeah, so, some people have called called you that. Um, and who are we to disagree with them? Um, so I don't know. I can't say for a fact if goatees are coming back or not. And if they could, I couldn't pull it off. But my question is to you: 
Could you pull it off? Have you tried? No. When I was young, I would do create a player for, um, you know, I guess it was MLB, you know, Mm -hmm. 2005 or whatever the year was. Didn't have to be 2005, but it could have been. And I would put a goatee on my six foot three, extremely jacked, (laughs) very athletic. Yeah. And, you know, of course, he had a nice name. Um, And then... Uh, unfortunately, I never became 6'3". So without the height, I'm not sure that that's going to work out. Sometimes, you know, I'm not sure. You don't. I don't think that you would be watching Friends very often. But uh, there's a there's a time. I, I've, and, I've seen a good bit. Yeah, time and a place where the character Chandler Bing has a goatee, and yes, I've always thought that that looked that, that didn't age well. No, it did not. I, I yeah yeah. Some of those episodes, you're just like, oh, and this was the time he had that really questionable goatee. Now, by the way, I, I am rewatching 30 Rock right now. Talk about something that really holds up. And I know it hasn't been too far back, but it's been about like a decade now. I think it, I mean, didn't it start it. in the mid 2000s? Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, it started. Like, I was going to say 07, but I don't know. Yeah. It started during the Bush administration, if I remember correctly. Because, like, I think the early seasons kind of reference him being president and, like, Dick Cheney and all that. So, um, anyway, the goatee. Are we bringing it back? I don't think it's back. I think baseball players have a tendency to do wild things. Yeah. I saw Matt Carpenter's playing for the Yankees right now. He has this like almost like a caterpillar mustache. Yeah. He looks like he looks like a cartoon character. Um and And that's giving them too much credit. I don't know if they do wild things per se, but sometimes they mess with their aesthetic. I don't I don't know what to attribute that to completely, but can we can we complain about how bad the broadcast was on Saturday night? It's like they missed so much stuff with the cameras. It was like there was one point in time where they came back and they were doing like a studio segment or something, or they came back and there was already an out. <laughs> it's just like, ah, you probably didn't want to see that. Uh, I was confused. It is one of my big complaints. It's like, you know, this is a – billion dollar enterprise espn they own sports they literally own college and so when they cannot do simple like the thing that they're paying the most money for and that makes them the most money when the broadcasts are like that i'm like well i guess like most things it just doesn't matter (laughs) i i'll be honest i fell asleep before the end of the game um i'd had a i'd been up a good bit over the weekend um Apparently there was, I have to shout it out here because it was referenced on Twitter. Um, Let me make sure I can pull it up. Yeah. So Justin Lee tweeted something about, and this was after I'd gone to bed, there was some sort of segment or some sort of shot something with food. And I kept seeing references to, uh, what he called dry pulled pork and forty eight ounces of white rice. Like, apparently, did you did you see that? Did you see any of the the food? I, I'm I was so not confused. Paying attention at whatever moment that was taking apparently, place. Apparently, they showed a bunch of food at one point. It might have been Hawaiian or something like that, and it was like it did not look appetizing at all. Uh, our buddy Bryce saying that uh, we should name this uh, podcast "Dry Pulled Pork and Forty Eight Ounces of White Rice." Uh, I would if I knew the reference and got it. I, I, I uh, my, my, uh, my stamina uh, failed me uh, last. That's such a long baseball game, though. Too. Um, hopefully, by the time you're listening to this, uh, game two will have gone by much quicker. And if you're an Auburn fan, which you probably are, if you're listening to this, that you know Auburn's already gotten to the point. Um, as we're recording this, take a little inside baseball. As we're recording this, Painter keeps looking off to the side. Because I know he's watching the end of the Tennessee Notre Dame game. It is in the top of the ninth. We've got a runner on second, uh, two outs. So with a four-run lead right here, Notre Dame could potentially put this away. Alas, that's insane, man. You think about how good Tennessee, Tennessee. was all year long, man. And if they get bounced right here at home by a team, if I remember correctly, Notre Dame's not a national seed, right? They were not. They were not a top sixteen team. Yeah, so like that was a team that had to had to do some work just to get out of out of the regional. Uh, where do you stand on with Tennessee this year? Because the the 
like I'm all for like celebrations. I'm all for being like, uh, yeah, this is a pro celebration podcast. We pick, we believe in the school of the, of Spencer Hall and the, and the shutdown full cast, that crowd where it's like, yeah, celebrate, man. Like celebration penalties should be like, as long as you're not, it's like getting texts and basketball. It's like, as long as you're not like being like direct and like overly like disrespectful or anything like that, you know, with what you're saying or what you're doing. Yeah. Go wild, man. Stun on them. You're doing stuff especially in college sports, you're doing stuff that you may never do again. You're in positions that you may never be in again as an athlete. And you're doing stuff that so many of us would have killed to ever have been that good enough to do that. However, I say all that and say this, Tennessee has gotten really annoying. But I think it fits them, though, because that's the Tennessee fan base, right? Like, that's that's the vibe that whole place gives off for the most part. Tennessee fans, to me, are a conglomerate of old Alabama boaters and neo-West Virginians. Mm. Just yeah. a bunch of a bunch of folks that have the nice oversized collared shirts, but are just rabid. I mean, sometimes just animals. Yeah, like it's there. They go hard, man. Like in the whole like hillbilly thing works. I mean, like that's it's 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 them. They got some folks up in the mountains that'll. I mean, if you if 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 you ever forget, keep in mind their unofficial fight song, Rocky Top, talks about shooting a federal agent and burying them in the in the mountains. Like it talks about murder of a government official. It's like if you ever guess that Tennessee ain't about that life, they are. But like in the in the sports in the in the sports segments, like it just they get so over the top. And I think that's the thing. Like Tennessee football always strikes me as that. Cause in my lifetime, Tennessee has had a little bit of stretches where they were awesome. Of course, like when I was a kid, when we were kids, they were national champions. Um, and, and they went to some sec titles when we were yep. a little bit older. Right. But like, they've been so in the wilderness that like when anything positive happens for them, they go full tilt and every, like, they were throwing junk in game one, I saw. Um, the fans were. And it's like, you literally just got in trouble for this during the football season. Like, literally. It's like, is this just going to be your thing now? It's like, okay, I, I'm all for, like, going crazy, doing all the gimmicks and stuff like that. But they're, like, Tennessee baseball this year has been, like, very antagonistic. Like, they, they are, they, it feels like they've kind of gone out of their way to get under people's skin. Very broadly, uh, is there some sort of knockoff version of the Tennessee fan to what the aggressive LSU fan is? Just like with vastly mm. different cultures, like because it feels the word antagonizing does feel good for the Tennessee fan base. Whereas right. with the LSU fan base, I just think that that the type of person who likes Louisiana football tends to be on full tilt at all times. But it seems the Tennessee thing seems to be more antagonizing which i guess can be very fun if you're supporting a team like that as auburn found out probably to a much lesser degree than this tennessee baseball team with their auburn basketball team this year like the auburn basketball team leaned into it at times and like it was fun to cheer on a team like that but of course the thing about celebration or taunting even is it like it's, you gotta be it's, ready when it comes back at you, and it's all subjective too. So like, if it's your team, you probably find it to be pleasant, and then there's varying degrees of people who find it to be anything between classless and funny. Is there a fan base that isn't at some like when they're good? Is there a fan base where they're just not at some level antagonistic? Like, yeah, you, you know, got like they're calling shots when your team's winning a lot. Because I think I think Auburn, I think like basketball showed this as well, and like when Auburn football's good. When they're at their when when they're at the their peak, um, my thing about Auburn being anti- antagonistic, it's like it's a kind of uh, it's a kind of like a, I don't know, almost like a version of like sarcasm, almost like I think of like the cam- like the the retrospectives of the Cam season twenty ten. It's like well Auburn cheated to get that, and like so many Auburn fans are like, and which what are you gonna do about it? Like we did it, ha, huh, gotcha, like. We talk about Auburn being the spoiler and the villain and the underdog and, like, doing that. And I think there was a degree of that with the basketball. Because, like, yes, Auburn was awesome and they had awesome players. They had All-Americans. They went to number one. They were the powerhouse. But, like, it was also kind of like, you don't think we belong here. We're not the pro – like, we're not Kentucky. We're not We're not North Carolina. We're not Duke. Ha-ha, we got you. And, like, I think there's an element of that in football. Um, 
Tennessee and LSU, I think, very much have those kind of like annoying, aggressive tendencies when they're good. I think Georgia's got – I mean, they, they literally – grown men will bark at you. Like, it's like that kind of like that. Alabama, kind of like Kentucky basketball when they're good. Alabama football and Kentucky basketball, it's a very like arrogant, we're above everyone else kind of. It, and I'm trying to think of – is there a fan base – like Florida – I think Florida's got some of this Tennessee and LSU to them as well, but I think it's also – they can be a little bit more of kind of posers. Um, but I'm trying to think of a fan ba- – Arkansas's just obnoxious at all times. Um Trying to think of a fan base, like, at least in the SEC, like, when they're good, you just don't like, – they're just like, wow, we're, we're just having fun. Like, Ole Miss doesn't do that. No, I think it goes to your head pretty fast. Yeah, you're, I mean – You're quick to get on online. I think Kentucky and, you, Kentucky football, if, like, Kentucky football ever gets on a heater, do you think they're, they're just going to be – they'll find their, they'll find a way. They'll find some way. And so it's like, I'm all for – I guess my whole point about this is, like, I'm all for that, and it's, it, it's commonplace when you're a winner – in a sport, but like I still think Tennessee baseball, especially this year, they were so good and so in your face about it um, that this ending is going to be quite. Uh, if if it ends up holding off right here, this ending is going to be something to something to behold because I mean people were talking about them like kind of like the Oklahoma softball team this year is like could this be one of the best teams we've ever seen? Could this be the best team we've ever seen? Well, you know all that. Whew. The ball's uh, pretty rough. Well, it you know, it could potentially be coming back around to him. And it is. It is, ladies and gentlemen. You we, already we, knew that. But I'm having stretched, fun right now. We stretched out this opening segment just so we could get to Notre Dame winning so Painter can pay attention. It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the weekend edition. Justin Ferguson here in Auburn, Alabama. Painter Sharpless in Parts Unknown. Hello, Painter. Yes, yes, yes. You just I didn't strike you as a Notre Dame fan, but you have... Uh... Indifferent to Notre Dame, however, always, you know, fun to laugh at others' pain. So, didn't mean to rhyme. That's gross, but nonetheless... We are, uh, I think Bennett had one of those just this past week. <laughs> he did. So, anyway. He did. He did. Um, so, yeah, as we said in the o- opening, baseball on a lot of your minds right now. If Auburn makes it to Omaha, we will continue to have, we'll have a, we'll have a, a more guest, perhaps guest plural, um, to talk Auburn baseball with if they make it to that point. Don't want to, you know, don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. But, like, since this will be out after game two, you know, not a whole lot to timely stuff to talk about. And again, baseball is not our area of expertise. We don't cover it uh, on the Observer. We tell folks, as we always do, read and support the folks who do. A lot of good, got a lot of good outlets, a lot of good reporters and writers uh, covering Auburn baseball here. Uh, over too many to name at this point specifically. Um, but uh, yeah, continue to check them out. You know, subscribe to their stuff, um, support them because. Uh, Tell you one thing, Omaha ain't cheap to get to and and to spend a week there. Um, if you're gonna if, live if in Warren Buffett's town for a week, <laughs> you gotta bring that cheddar. Um, so we had a couple things we wanted to discuss today. Appreciate everybody tuning in uh, to the program. Um, I wanted we wanted to talk football and this is the time of year. This is June. Um, I got an email last Thursday, I think. Yeah, last Thursday I got an email um, asking for credential requests for SEC Media Days. We're almost there. Um, it's in a month from now, give or take a few days. Give me your We're, early SEC Media Days narrative. What's the big storyline heading into SEC Media Days? Saban versus Jimbo. Oh, 100%. Still be, yeah, 100%. still going to be nuclear. I think there's going to be a lot of people trying to talk themselves into Georgia not repeating as SEC East champions. Um, really? They're, yeah, I think they're going to. I think people are going to try to say like maybe this is Tennessee, maybe this is like, and I don't think they should. No, I'm very clear. My they should. I did see though, like there's some folks that are just trying to like I don't know if they're like trying to backdoor like a nobody believes in us kind of thing for Georgia. It was like they lost a good bit of talent, but come on, Georgia. 
They still got. They still got. There's another quarterback. There was a. Uh, there's a list the other day. I think it was like PFF. It's like best. You know, best uh, players and you know, best quarterbacks in college football and in the 2022 season. And like, look, I know his stats aren't out of this world good, but like Stetson Bennett wasn't in the top ten. The man just won a national title, and like. People thought they would win it in spite of him. You go back to that game, you go back there. Like, he made some big plays and, like, did exactly what they needed to do. And so it's like, man, give the man his due. I know gassing up Georgia is not necessarily what people want to hear on this podcast, but, like, come on. Like, what a weird thing to say about trying to backdoor Tennessee or anyone who's at least floating the concept. Like, I guess I'm I, fine with the idea of Tennessee. I guess Tennessee being is it. Like, I don't think people Florida are going to buy into Florida now. this quickly. Yeah, you know, well, it's just weird. Or South Carolina or anybody like that. Georgia yeah. had no problem winning double-digit games and restocking its talent every year. It just hadn't won a national title. <laughs> and they're not going to start. Yeah, I don't. I don't foresee. What maybe Georgia could lose one game in the regular season. So that like would second and beat Tennessee, and Tennessee's going to win all of their games, including the one against Alabama. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think there's going to be that. I think Jimbo and, and like I think for Auburn's perspective, like there's going to be a lot of Harson questions. I think the fact that he goes on the same day as Jimbo does is going to maybe take a little bit of the heat off, um, so you know for him. Brian Kelly, like that still happened. Like I think it's just me. Like man, what is he going to do? Like again, I mean it's been month, we're months into this ordeal, and I just we talked about it with Alex Kirshner not too long ago. It's like, it's just, if your reaction is not just, man, this is really freaking weird. <laughs> like, I think that's going to come into full circle once he's like at media days. Um, but anyway, this is the time of year. This is summer. This is, this is talking season. Now I will say right off the top, big recruiting weekend for Auburn right now. Haven't got a commitment to this point, may not get a commitment at this point, from this weekend, but a lot of big time visitors. I think a lot of people wanting to see Auburn step it up in recruiting. Well, the official visit list, a lot of four stars, some guys that are five stars that are, that are interested in Auburn. They're working ahead. I just talked to a couple people that know recruiting and, 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 and follow it and cover it from varying levels. You know, not just Auburn folks, but locally and nationally. Like, I, Oh, you know what? I think Auburn's kind of adjusted and I like what they're doing. Like people's perspectives, like, yeah, they're, they're, they're heading in the right direction. They've got to actually get the recruits. They actually got to get the commitments. And again, I still think a lot of that's going to hinge on what they do this fall. But they're in a good spot here. But um, so you got that going on. It's it's summer workouts. Um, basketball recruiting is starting to be in full swing. This time next week, we're going to be talking about Jabari Smith in the NBA draft. So this is kind of a, a little bit of holding pattern around. But it's but it's talking season, right? This is a time of year where there's it's list. I just mentioned that I think it was a PFF list. Um, but it's the time of year where you start seeing like preseason teams and stuff like that. And I wanted to start with a little bit of nostalgia. We start. We talked about this earlier uh, before we started recording. But um, Athlon, the Athlon magazines are out. Phil Steele, uh, if you if you prefer the microscopic type from the world's most thorough man, um, you can do that as well. Uh, the man's a machine. I just I don't know how he does what he does. Um, I think you were saying that you were you were you were a Phil Steele person. Like I, I've bought Phil Steele in the past, but I've kind of switched more to Athlon here recently. Uh, Athlon growing up, and then I hit a phase, probably I don't know, junior high or high school, where I purchased them. Not every year, but I I had them, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the Athlon ones certainly are easier to flip through. Uh, I can use uh, the Phil Steele print more like a dictionary and that you're looking for something specific <laughs> specific yeah the athlon you can kind of read through now I, I will say i did switch to athlon somewhat recently back to athlon and, and no disrespect to phil still I'll, I'll usually get both but i like the athlon Phil's <laughs> still um, doing fine by the way like yeah, if, if we don't <laughs> buy his magazine no, i'm boycotting him he's <laughs> that'll really do a number on him no um i, I like kind of more of the story and the feature kind of style writing of it um, I have some friends who contribute to it. Um, Stephen Godfrey, if you listen to the split zone duos, Stephen Godfrey does his coach gossip thing in there where like anonymous coaches just, it's so fun on. hearing. It's so good. Hearing, oh, it's wonderful hearing what they actually think of one another. Like the Arizona state one is like apparently nuclear this year. Uh, just got how bad that situation is out in Tempe. But, um, anyway, uh, we're talking, I, 
I too. I I remember getting it. I used to get it every year. Um, I would like go buy it at either like um, it was funny. <laughs> Whenever we went to Dothan, um, and there was a books a million in Dothan, uh, would go like buy one. Um, there were there was like a year where they started stocking it at the Walmart about twenty minutes away, and that was a big deal when you did that. But when I was a kid, um, and and I was telling you this is like I, I probably should have seen this as one of those things where like oh here's what i ended up doing for a living uh that that, that kind of checks out i should have should have saw that maybe it's a little bit more viable because i've said this before when i got to auburn i had i was undeclared i had no idea what i wanted to do i didn't go in thinking like oh yeah sports writing that'll be a uh, a beneficial career and nothing will ever go wrong in that um but when i was a kid you would play ncaa football on the playstation and if I wasn't playing with an FCS team and trying to turn them into like the next big thing, I would make a team. I would make, we would make up schools and like try to make them kind of realistic sounding. And we would make them on the game and we'd play the dynasties. And I do remember growing up, I, we would get the Athlon, you'd have the Athlon and I would draw a cover with this team, this made up team that I made and like the players from the game. And I would write, I would write like a season preview. I did like all the formatting and all this stuff. I tried to make it look as realistic as possible. And it's like, so there's a part of me that still kind of gets connected to that. And so as much as like the previews and talking, it can get, especially with the way the internet and social media is now, it's like, it can get to be too much. There's something about it where I'm still like, this is fun. Like this is, it held a special place in your heart because there was not, there were no, no outlets really in the way it was radio and it was the magazine. And sure. I do sound like an old man yelling (laughs) to cloud, you know, hearkening for an era that probably didn't actually exist, but there was more of a true lull then because we didn't have other ways to distract ourselves. And so that magazine was a big deal. The memory I have is I went to this camp, camp Mac, a bunch of years as a camper and a counselor and every year my mom would stash in my stuff in Athlon magazine and so like eventually I caught on finally I was like oh yeah that's like just something to look forward to yeah it's it's a lot of fun uh you know we were talking about this before we started recording and like I, I kind of want to go out and get one now just drive on down to the books a million in Tiger Town and pick one up and just having that physical copy like even though I've never written and worked for a physical <laughs> like media like thing like the last the only the only time i ever writ, wrote anything for print was at the plainsman and they don't even do that anymore so there's just something about that i, I say i had to say this is a long uh winding segue that you guys are probably already tired of hearing about to get to this the athlon magazine is out um they have their preseason all sec teams they have the rundowns i don't you know I think Godfrey pointed this out the other day. It's just like, go buy the magazine. Like, we're not going to give away everything. But, like, the stuff they put online and the previews and stuff like that. I don't want to run down kind of like, here's what other people think of Auburn. But I did want to point out, because this, this this was interesting. Their All-SEC teams came out. This came out at the beginning of the month. The All-SEC team has 18 selections from Alabama, 13 from Georgia, 12 from A&M, 10 from Tennessee. LSU, Kentucky, Mississippi State, and Auburn – have nine. Uh, they're all conference teams. There's four. They do a complete team. They, they do four teams. I believe Phil Steele does the same thing. Complete teams, both sides of the ball, specialist and all that. But Auburn has nine. Here's where it gets like, again, if you look at it, it says, okay, well, in terms of roster talent, you can look at that and say, well, they think Auburn might be like tied for fifth most talented roster in the league this year. That's like a very generic and very basic, maybe dumbing it down too much the way to say it. But wanted to point it out and say this. They have nine this year. They had eight last year. I went back and looked. They had eight last year. They have two first-teamers, and that is Tank Bigsby at running back, and then Derek Hall listed as defensive lineman on here. They only had one first-teamer last year preseason, and it was Zacoby McClain. Now, these are the opinions of one staff – However they do it, however the contributors and and staff members at Athlon put it all together. It's not the gospel truth or anything like that. But it did strike up this conversation between his parents, and I wanted to talk about it on the air. There's this thought that Auburn 
is in trouble this year. The 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 roster, you know, it, it's going to be hard for them. There there some folks that are predicted doom and gloom. I think a lot of that has to do with what happened with Brian Harson. It's like, well, it seems like everybody's already out to get him and all that. A lot of people have cooled off on Auburn this year. However, heading into the season, at least from this perspective, it looks like the roster might have a little more star power this year. And I guess my question to you is, is this a sign of anything? Should we read into it? Should we kind of brush it off? Or should we be taking this a little bit more seriously? Should we be taking Auburn a little bit more seriously? Should they be getting a little bit more respect for their, for their talent? Or if it, or is this just cherry-pick stats? Because it might just be a cherry-pick stat, but I think it's very interesting compared to where Auburn was talked about last year and where they're talked about this year. Like last year it was like Brian Harson's inheriting a team that's, that's won a decent amount of games under Gus Malzahn. They've got to do something different moving forward. What can you do to get to the next level? This year it's... Well, if he doesn't have a good year, he could be out. And it's going to be tough for Auburn this year. So where do you stand on all this? Two things broadly, one of which is not good analysis, but it does account for something. The vibes are bad. However, the second thing is that the roster may be in a better place than it was last year. I'm not sure that I totally buy that, but there's some spots that are thin but still talented. Like, I don't think Auburn can really afford to have injuries on the D line, but no one can deny that Auburn has a good defensive line. Uh, I I guess the main thing, and I think you're probably about to get this is like the positions that you need the most. I would argue in the era of football, we find ourselves in would be offensive line and quarterback. And there's different reasons for skepticism about how good those groups can be. So the nine, players are, are as follows as we said tank bigsby and um Derek call for uh first team the second team features colby wooden on defensive line and oscar chapman as a punter i think quietly chapman had an awesome year last year uh for for auburn uh third team keandre jones on the offensive line again let me like credit where credit's due i i think the narrative and the the reality of what's going on with Auburn's offensive line right now is what it is, but DeAndre Jones has been a, a young player, the youngest player on that group that has played, you know, he's played the best out of all of them, I think. Owen Papo, uh, third-team defense. Andres Carlson, third-team kicker. And then on the fourth team, John Samuel Shanker is at tight end, and Zion Puckett is at DB. Um, and there's some ties and some stuff. Like and that you said, if I'm not mistaken, I believe this is four units deep. Is that how deep? Yes, four teams. Four teams. So that, yeah. that's a lot of, you know, I mean, a lot of people are getting picked in this scenario. It's not like we're talking about the true, you know, when, I guess when you're looking at a first teamer, that's fair enough. How many guys do we have that are kind of viewed as like true top end of the conference players in the roster? I would, I would assume Tank is in that conversation. I'd say Tank, Derek. I, I would put Colby Wooden up there. Right. So you got to get Colby doesn't have the same stats as some of these sure. guys on the defensive line do, does. But and you could drop those three guys on most rosters and they would play a lot of minutes, if not be the, I mean, they'd be the starter just about anywhere they went. And I guess that's the thing with Auburn this year. You mentioned it. You can't get her. I, I think there's star power on this team. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who covers the sport nationally. They wanted to know about Auburn, kind of what I thought. And I said, you know, it's all going to come down to how quickly this passing game can click because you're working with parts at this point that have not worked together and have not necessarily had a ton of experience and had a lot of success separately, right? Whether it's Zach Calzada or TJ Finley or Robbie Ashford at quarterback, okay, you're either banking on somebody who has had some experience as a starter and has had some good moments and some not-so-good moments on the whole – not necessarily like top level quarterback numbers or you're getting a guy like Robbie Asher and that's a complete wild card. It's like, buddy, here you go. Like <laughs> we're about to see what you're made of right off the bat. The wide receivers, you've got a mix of guys that have been solid to average to sometimes below average. Um, I as will a group. say this is sort of just speculation on my part, but Auburn right. has largely recruited three and four star wide receivers, which is, more than what Brian Harson was probably accustomed to having in talent at Boise. And it seems like that position group was one that 
he managed to find some success with on a consistent basis. Like, even though Auburn doesn't have an elite group of wide receivers, I do think I'm cautiously optimistic he can pull something out of that unit. But at the same time, like, we didn't really see that come together in his first season. So I could understand why you would say, well, why is it going to be different this year? And your best wide receiver statistically just left, right? You know, and so it's the thing we've talked. I I know I've mentioned it a hundred times before, but like, when you look at stuff like Bill Connolly and like advanced numbers, it's like what determines how good an offense is going to be from year to year? What's like the most consistent? Like this is the good tell. It's how much you usually bring back in your passing game for Auburn. You're resetting. No more Bo Nix. No more K- Kobe Hudson. No more uh, Demetrius Robertson. Now what you do have is you have depth. You have options uh, at the quarterback spot. And then you've got some guys that can be, you know, higher end type of players. You, you like – the potential of a Javarius Johnson, especially with Brian Harson's track record with slot receivers. You like what a guy like Shed Jackson could bring back this year because of his experience. You like the fact that John Samuel Shanker had a very productive year last year. You like how much you've got it tied in. Physically, you've got to like Tavares Dawson and Malcolm Johnson Jr. and uh, and Landon King, guys like that. Xavion Capers, if he can put it all together, like those kind of guys. And so... That's the thing about Auburn is that they have one of the best running backs in the country. They have depth of the running back room. They have an offensive line that, like, on, like, I know it's going to be the boomer bust. And, like, you know, when we said that the Gus Malzahn era came to an end, it said the obituary on his time at Auburn was going to reference the fact that the offensive line, the recruiting was rough, the development was rough. The depth was rough, and it, it and ultimately it tailed off. And that is something that Brian Harson inherited, as I wrote, like a month into his 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 uh, tenure at Auburn. Good luck, because you're gonna need it. This is a multi-year building process on the offensive line, and it's not something you get out of easily. But the fact you bring back all those guys, it's like, again, I've said this a bunch of times already this offseason. It's the best case scenario you could have gotten for this offensive line because you were not gonna go get elite players from the transfer portal and rebuild your offensive line that way, right? You weren't going to get five-star freshmen. And if you did, like, it's hard for those guys to start right away. It's just like, can that cut together? Because defensively, I like where Auburn's at on defense. They finished the year, I thought, really well. Uh, When you look at almost pulling off the Alabama win, what they did against Houston. They had some really good uh, – Mississippi State. The Mississippi State game and parts of the Penn State game were like, oh, that's terrible. Like, you like, you don't want to see that again. But on the whole, they were a good defense. And I think what they bring back can give it to you. You questioned the depth. You were saying earlier, don't get hurt on the defensive line. Don't get hurt anywhere. Because <laughs> like, I think the top level of talent is like, what happens if you have another year where Owen Papo, and I'm not singling it out specifically – you're going to have to go complete inexperience on, 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 at your linebacker room. You've got guys at corner. You've got guys at safety. You've reloaded with JUCO players and transfer guys that can kind of produce for you. You don't want to be in a situation where you have to rely on guys further on depth chart just because they're relatively unproven to this point. I think the thing with Auburn's defense is that I think they can be just as good as they were last year. I think there's going to be some – questions about like can the linebackers get it together what about you know not having roger anymore not having smoke anymore replacing those guys but i think you're going to have time to build that up and the other thing is you know i've always said in college football if you're building a football team period the number one what you want to be most sure about is your quarterback right you want to be good you want to be experienced you want to be talented at the quarterback spot think your second is you got a defensive line that is a that is the group that gets it all together and you can change so much in football if you're four or five or three or whatever can beat another team's five six seven eight whatever whatever it takes in terms of protection run stopping and all that and auburn the secret it wasn't even a secret the key to auburn success under kevin Steele was that it all started up front right and that group with colby wooden and Derek hall and Leota and marcus harris and then when you throw in guys like jason jones coming in what you could get potentially out of a Juco player like Jeffrey Imba. Like you put all that together. I would much rather, I would much rather be secure on the front of your defense and have questions in the back end 
than the other way around. I think the other way around is a lot more dangerous. So you like where Auburn's at there, and it's just like, okay, when you see stuff like this, when you see that Auburn might have a little bit more just pure star power this year than they did last year, you asked me not too long ago, you were like, are there, is there belief that this team can can do the unexpected, can can beat the projections? And it's like, yeah, I, I think so. I, I mean, I think there's I think there's there's definitely that belief internally. And I think as the summer kind of winds on, you start looking at this roster a little bit more for Auburn. You're like, okay, if this works out, you can see where this can be a good football team because look at what they've got here, 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 and here. But I think to your point, though, Painter, the biggest question is the one spot where you need to be – you you would want to be the most secure, the aspect of your game you want to be the most secure, you basically start from square one. If they can be a solidly top half of the league offensive line and you get a jump forward from Zach Calzada or Rabbi Robbie Ashford turns into a guy that it took a couple of years for it to all come together – Finley, like, you know, the small sample size does not necessarily invoke some sort of confidence that he's going to win out that job, but I've, I've been wrong plenty of times. So, like, this is a matter of the position mat- that matters so much being the spots where you just don't have any real answers. And if Auburn stays healthy, you can convince yourself that there's enough talent that suddenly, yeah, they – if you think they're going to win six and a couple of games go differently in the fourth quarter than the way they did last year, like, oh, well, they're at eight wins. Yeah. It's not an impossible scenario. It's just one that's hard to envision right now because I think you know so little about so what, yeah. what's happening with that offense once it gets into league play, especially because I'm of the opinion that they might be able to skate by early in the season against Penn State with – with good defense and just okay offense. Playing at home in a big game, yeah. But, like, by the time you're getting to Ole Miss and Arkansas and certainly, you know, I mean, Georgia. Georgia's, Georgia's, their offense is going to put up points. Yeah, no, they've they've got dudes. They've they, they brought their quarterback back, and they still have the freak show at tight end. And, like, they're, they're going to be really good again this year uh, on offense. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm with you. Like, you're going to have to bring it. Like, first two games, you might not have to bring it as much. You know, yeah. I mean, what they score a hundred something points in the first two games, right? But it's like Penn State to step up. Missouri, we'll see. Like Missouri, this iteration of Missouri football is like they either fall flat on their face or they get in shootouts. Usually, it's like you might have to bring it at that point. We'll see what it, like. There's no telling what LSU looks like. That is that that program has changed so much this off season, um, and that roster has changed so much. It's uh, but yeah, like when you're. T- to your point, like once you get into October, once you start having to hit the road, you better bring that offense with you. And so I guess the other part about it is if you want to play optimi- the optimistic view, which I'm always like, if you're a fan, be more optimistic than pessimistic in the offseason. This is literally the time where you can have blind optimism and just ride into it. Also, it makes it so people listen to podcasts and, and read you know newsletters more, but that's neither here nor there. Um I think the other thing to keep in mind here is that, okay, so let's go back to the Brian Harson hire, right? Brian Harson, his track record at Boise State was doing more with less, which you can see where that's that that will be helpful at Auburn when you're going against the behemoths in recruiting. And number two, producing passing games, being either the offensive coordinator or the head coach of some really efficient quarterback play, wide receiver play, doing all that. Again, different competition, different level, different ball game different recruiting landscape, all that. The thing about it is, is that those two things were kind of upgrade. Like you could see where that would have been an upgrade from what you had in Gus Malzahn. Because for all of Gus Malzahn's strengths, beating Nick Saban more than anybody else, um, putting together teams that could catch fire and become steamrollers in, in a short amount of time, for the positives that he had, quarterback development, passing gameplay just was never one of them, Right. I think the Jarrett Stidham era was the two years was the best it got really in just terms of purely throwing the ball. Now we will also say Nick Marshall, better passer than people give him credit for. And then when you throw in the fact that he was a monster running the ball, it's lights out there. I think that's the thing though, with this passing game is that there are so many unknowns and you are having to start from square one, but 
And, and, and that can create a lot of pessimism. But if you want to be on the, of the optimistic view, I would say this. This is what Brian Harson's known for. This is like he's going to get a chance to prove right away, you know, to this year, like what he was hired to do. He can do it. Number two, it's not like the situation. It's like you can, it can definitely get worse. I'm not saying that, but it's like, it's not like this is a big drop off here, right? It's not like you start from this really high, high. As good as Bo Nix was and as good as Bo Nix played in certain games and the performances he had and the value he brings to a team, sub-60% passer. And the best year he had throwing the ball came under this coach, right? So I guess, again, like if you want to take a more optimistic view about Auburn's passing game, it's this, this. This is this guy's area of expertise, and it's not like he's having to live up to these lofty expectations. It would not take a ton to get better in the passing game. So that's where it's like that's where you can buy in a little bit of optimism. The mailbag on Friday, Pablo asked the question, the lead question in the mailbag: What do they got to do to to be a solid passing game this year? And I made the point in the in my answer, which you can read. I think that I think that part's at least free for everybody to check out. Two hundred and twenty-five to two hundred fifty passing yards per game. If you look at it, if they do run run heavy, it's about seven and a half to nine yards in attempt. That's top half kind of passing numbers. And Auburn has not gotten to that point since Stidham. So, like, again, that is not the view of where this is. The biggest way you can say things could go sideways this year is, like, look, once Bo Nix went down last season, Auburn's offense was never the same. They couldn't win down the stretch. They had a bad offense late in the season. And they're resetting at quarterback completely, you know, for the most part. And um, your wide receivers – couple of really productive ones are out the door like that's that's where it could blow up for Auburn this year but it's also kind of like man it, it shouldn't take that much to get better right like am I making any sense here at, at this point I think that there is a disconnect for me at times where I feel negative you know you get in the mood and you're like oh this is not gonna work and it's like well it may not they may do what they did last year and sink below expectations. And if they do that, that somewhere hovering around about six, five wins, right? Like I think most people would like to think they could get to seven, but I don't, you know, I don't know what that, what the pulse of that is, but let's say that that happens. It's not necessarily because the team going into this season is just way less talented than whatever they had last year. You just have the same question marks you had last year, which is how good is your quarterback going to be? And is the offensive line going to be top half, unit in the league and last year I mean, last year last year we were asking the same questions at wide receiver it's like oh man they got nobody they and got so nobody i can understand back. why you saw things play out the way they did and you're going we're going in the season offensively with a lot of the same issues why would i believe that they're going to overachieve this year you can use a similar feeling and go well if they if the quarterback is better if the offensive line shows some marginal improvement if they close out some fourth quarters a little better you know, margins yeah, I, are thin. I, that's the thing. That's a good point. Like, one thing is, like, the margins are thin, and number two, it's like it would not take a miracle to get better, right? I guess that's the thing I think we're kind of – I don't want to say overlooking, but I think that's kind of the vibe that's kind of, you know, been kind of washed out a little bit when it comes to, to, to Auburn football this year. It's like, wow, they've got a lot of work to do, and they're rebuilding their passing games. Like, yeah, true. But what they're having to improve off of isn't these lofty things, all right? Um, and so that's where I think it might, it could be better. And that's where you can buy into some optimism. Now, the schedule's tougher. You got to play Alabama and Georgia on the road. I mean, you almost beat Alabama, probably should have beaten Alabama. But that doesn't affect your record. Like, you know, yeah, if you, you lose, like if at you the lose. end of the day, like if you lose 50 to 17 instead of whatever we lost by this year, mostly tried to block that one out. I mean, the result's still the same. It the doesn't feel any better to watch your team getting drummed, but what do you right. do? Right, and that's where it's like when you talk about what does Brian Harson need to do, what does Auburn need to do to prove that, hey, we, you know, we, this is heading in the right direction. This is going to be a build. This is going to be a process, but here's proof that this could work. I've said, like, you got to have a winning record first and foremost, but it also is like you got to be competitive in some of these games, and you got to, like – it can't just be a like a, 
don't know. I don't even know if it's a. It, is there? I don't even think there's a cheap seven wins on this on this schedule. But like, it can't be a cheap seven. You know what I mean? Like, if you have these seven wins where you like get in and it's not super impressive, and you get the doors blown off of you in the five losses, like that's a different story than a seven and five record where there's a big upset in there or there's a you know there's like clearly better offensive players stuff like that yeah and it's just hard no matter what i think to get people excited to ask people to get excited about seven and eight wins but you know if if you're going with the long haul big picture of brian harson that's what you're hoping people will be is happy with seven or eight wins and the, you know, more so than the fans, just the powers that be will, will say, give it one more year. If again, you're still in on this project. Yeah. If you're still in on this project, you're going to have to show improvement on offense. You got to show this like, Hey, this is going to get better. This is the thing that, you know, you came in expecting to do. And so, yeah, be better in the fourth quarters. I mean, with the Pythagorean expectations, we talked about it a while back. It's like this team was a lot closer to winning eight or nine games last year than it was having a, having a losing record, right? But that, the results are the results. Uh, I'm not saying that I'm thinking Auburn's going to win nine, ten games this year, but, like, I think I have a little bit more optimistic view than others have about this team just because I see the pieces and I can see where it kind of fits. And I think the other thing is just that, like, all right, hold on. This is not like it can get it, it, sure it can get worse and the vibes are not good and like there's a lot of stuff that 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 worked against him in the off season but I think the reloading in certain spots the improved recruiting might be able to turn turn some people around a little bit it's just there's a runway early in the season where things can kind of click and it did last year and then of course at the end of the season it it all fell apart but I guess that goes to the point of where I say like it's hard to predict Auburn football. It's a it's a fool's errand. Um, but even if I try, I'm like, you know, it's I I can see a scenario where we get to the end of 2022 and we say, you know what, it's going to be a build. It's going to be a process. It didn't get off to the greatest of starts. There was a really really rough stretch there that didn't help anybody out in the winter. But if the goal is build a more consistent, complete program to contend. There's signs here, right? And I think that's where I think that's where we're at. And it, it the Athlon thing, going back to to where we started with this, the Athlon thing surprised me because the thought is that oh Auburn's going to be worse this year than they even were last year, and this is trouble and things. And look, look, that could happen. That could happen, right? It could. The schedule's tough. The question marks are big on offense, and it could all fall apart right but it's like wow like to me it's like i've been saying this a little bit and it's 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 a little bit more fun to see it quantified out by other people is like if they stay healthy there's there's some star power on this team i know they lost roger i know they lost Bo. i know they lost smoke i know they lost zakod mclean i know they lost some some key guys but there's some guys that are going to be playing on Sundays real, real soon. We, we think that this NFL draft class upcoming for Auburn can be one of their bigger ones they've had in a while. There's some dudes. There are some dudes that are going to be among the best in the league this year. And there are – the problem is is that none of them are at the at the at in the passing game. That's the – and I, I say that to say, like, well, you know, John Samuel Shanker – but there's only so much a tight end can do in an offense, right? Unless you are, you know, unless you're Kyle Pitts – or that kid from Georgia, Brock Again, Bowers. And Shanker's a respectable, yeah. good player for Auburn and, and, that and will be best, productive. But, like, he's not taking and the best the tight end Auburn And the best tight end Auburn has had statistically since Philip Lutz and Kirkin, which has been a long time. It's been a long time since Lutz played. So, yeah, it's just uh, – it's, it's one of those things where – if you want to buy into optimism, which is this is the time of year to do it, if you're going to get on that train, I, I found it very interesting. It's like there's a lot of doom and gloom about the roster, and it's like there's if they stay healthy and they can get some things figured out in the passing game, this is where it could work. Now, it's a big if. I've always said, though, with the offensive line, there's going to be a ceiling to how good that group's going to be just because of the recruiting talent at its disposal. So we shall see. We shall see. Um, but – 
Yeah, I, I would think that, you know, broadly, there are probably people who think that this team is just way worse. If you saw the transfer portal headlines and you saw, I don't know if the investigation matters necessarily to what happens happens this year, but like that would definitely, if you were viewing it from a distance, put you down on the program, just give you a weird feeling. But like, as you say, if you look at the roster, it's not all that different from what it was last year, a team that positioned itself to potentially win seven, eight, nine games, which means it's probably not impossible to be back in that position again. 100%. So the moral of the story is if you want to, if you want to be a little bit more optimistic, there's enough reason I can, I can give you some ammunition. If you want to still say cautious, I understand. I feel like you have a. I feel like you have a compatriot in Painter. I would tend to pa- agree with you on, yeah. <laughs> on the yeah. the cautiousness. Yeah. I, th- I feel like I'm a little bit more. It's it's funny, but I don't know how funny it is. But it's like I feel like I'm a little bit more optimistic about Auburn football season than Painter is. But you know, again, predicting what happens is dangerous. Well, what's um, what's then, their win projections like? Six point seven. Um, and so it's like, to me, if they win seven games, I don't think that's like wildly exceeding expectations. But if I'm remembering the number right, that's a little bit better. Uh, and see. like seven wins to me seems very plausible. The SP Plus projections that I ran in May have Auburn projected to win six and a half games this season. So six or seven. And I think that. Is yeah, about, about right. Yeah. Yeah. And and we will see again if it's enough and how it looks, right? But we also have seen Auburn teams drastically outperform expectations and then even go under expectations because statistically they're the least predictable program in college football history. Um, and the other moral of the story is go buy the Athlon uh, magazine. And go by the Phil Steele if you're interested in that as well. All right. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening. We're going to wrap up here shortly. But before we do, got to take care of some business first. Um, first off, uh, wanted to uh, thank everybody who is a member of the Inner Circle. If you're a subscriber to the Auburn Observer, it only costs you $6 a month or $60 a year. And if you want to try us out for free, you can for a week. AuburnObserver.com. Newsletters aplenty. On uh, on football and men's basketball, you will get at least three newsletters and two podcasts a week if you subscribe. Um, as I said at the top of the show, our last premium uh, podcast was with, was with Bennett Durando. We talked Auburn baseball. I'll say it again. If Auburn baseball makes it to Omaha, we will do some more baseball. I think one of our reviews uh, here that I'm about to read uh, mentions that. So if Auburn gets there, we'll continue to have the experts on to, to talk a little Auburn baseball because it is – that they have been a really exciting team, and I know it's captured the attention of a lot of folks, even those of you who aren't necessarily big college baseball fans all year long. Now, also, there's a way to help us out without giving us any more money. Um, if you're a free subscriber or if you're a premium uh, person who has not done this yet, Painter, tell them how they can help us out. Rate, review, subscribe, folks. Takes like 20 seconds. Takes like 20 seconds. All you got to do, hit the five star uh, on Apple Podcasts. You know, you can do five stars on Spotify as well, but we like Apple Podcasts because they kind of run the world. But if you have Spotify and listen to us on Spotify, please help us out that way as well. Both is preferable. We like both. Yes. Cover it as many, as many as you can. But, you know, if you don't know what to do, if you're on an Apple device, go to the podcast app, search the Auburn Observer, scroll down to... Uh, or click on the Auburn Observer, scroll down to Ratings and Reviews, click Write a Review, give us five stars, say something nice about Painter. We will read them on the air because we're vain people, and uh, we like shouting out those of you who, uh, who who help us out. So we've got two to read now, Painter. This one is from Molly is Life, who calls themselves the subscriber of the month, which is a pretty good award if you can give it to yourself. I'll, I'll give it to you. As a longtime Inner Circle member, I'm listening to the pod thinking, how can I help my boys today? Oh, yeah, I have a second Apple ID. Let's give it another five-star review. Why? One, Painter suggested it, and I'm lobbying for him to be employee of the month for June. You know, Painter lost lost the last matchup. Dave McKinney uh, coming for the crown. Let's see who, who gets it in June. And number two, I'm vain also, and I would like to hear my review read on the next pod. Now to work on my mailbag question. 
thank you. Very, very kind review. You have shot up in my power rankings of subscribers. Absolutely huge energy with that review. Uh, And then the second review to read is from CCS4AU, a longtime uh, friend of the program. Points out Auburn baseball to the Super Regionals. I know I'm late to the party, but baseball. It's got me even more jazzed about tonight. Uh, Tonight's late game earned Bennett Durando a follow. Keep the baseball content coming. Great work. As we said, we will, uh, if Auburn makes it to Omaha, we will do another baseball podcast for those of you who have been asking for them. And uh, we will try to get some more guests on uh, here in the near future with our premium pods. And the only way to guarantee that you can hear that is by subscribing to The Observer, auburnobserver.com. Visit our friends at homefieldapparel.com as well. Uh, there's a really cool Auburn baseball shirt up there that a lot of people really like. Uh, nice script. They've been doing a lot of baseball shirts recently. And Auburn baseball's got one of the OGs up there. Um, it's the number one place to get premium collegiate apparel um, for Auburn and other schools that you may love that aren't Auburn. Uh, I am currently wearing an Indiana shirt uh, from Homefield because uh, that's that's how the death cult works. Go to homefieldapparel.com. Check out the Auburn gear. Check out your uh, any other schools that you like. Favorite gear. I think Clemson launched this past week. We've got another uh, big loaded uh, big new Saturday coming up for next week. Uh, I know um, they're they're hitting some heavy hitters right now. If you've never ordered from Homefield before, we can get you fifteen percent off by just typing in the promo code Observer when you were checking out. So shout out to uh, Connor and the gang up in Indy uh, for all the awesome stuff they do at HomefieldApparel.com. All right, Painter. I did want to talk before we went. You know, we, we before we before we went went if before we go. Jabari Smith worked out recently for the Orlando Magic. Uh, he is currently the I think it's like minus five hundred at this point that he is the betting favorite to be the number one overall pick. As much as I've liked to put into the universe how much I'd like to see him play for the Oklahoma City Thunder, it does look like the Orlando Magic are really interested in taking him for a lot of reasons. I think he fits a you know the Chet Holmgren talk. It's like they've got some seven footers on the roster. Jabari fits with everybody. He's got the highest floor. I think he's the best. You know, might have the highest upside of the team. But we're closing in. I just wanted to know what you thought about Jabari potentially landing in Orlando because he would be. Pl- I know they weren't teammates at Auburn, but Auburn fans could have him and Chuma both on the same team, and that that would be a lot of fun to see. Nice storyline, and obviously. I definitely want Jabari for selfish reasons, both, uh, you know, for him. Yeah, I'd like it'd be an incredible thing to start your career off with. Also, uh, good for Auburn, right? And I'm excited for the takes. I'm excited for the takes that Auburn fans would be excited that they have a number one pick and that that shows how much of a poverty program they are to care about having a number one pick. Someone will do it. Someone will oh, yeah. say, yeah, yeah, yeah. wow, this just shows how little history you have that you even care that your guy got drafted number one. And I, as I would like to point out, and I think I have before, if if Jabari goes number one overall, Auburn will have had a number one overall pick in the NFL draft, the NBA draft, and the MLB draft. Only two other schools ever can say that, UCLA and LSU. It would be really, really rare company for Auburn to be in if they get to that, to that point. Um, also, shout out while we're talking about it, we mentioned baseball. Uh, Davis Daniel getting called up to the to the Angels. Um, I think it's I think I saw it was like the 45th uh, major leaguer in Auburn baseball history. They're starting to put more and more, especially pitchers, getting into the league. And uh, this comes to my point. We'll wrap up on this. I don't know anything about college baseball. That's why we bring in people like Bennett to talk talk to you about them, um, and why we encourage you to read uh, the fine folks all throughout the Auburn internet uh, for who are covering uh, th- this baseball team. But as I tweeted the other night, I know nothing about college baseball. I know nothing about scouting. I, I am petitioning my beloved Atlanta Braves to draft Sonny DeShera. Do something. Get him in the system. Put put him in there. You know? I don't know if he'll ever make it to the show. I'd like to think he is. I mean, he man can hit a ball. I mean, I know he's not. We talked about this with, with Bennett. I know he's not necessarily what you would look at and say, ah, yes, this is the ideal uh, body type of a, of a of a baseball player. But it's like, come on, man. Like, we've seen a lot of different shapes and sizes of guys thrive. More and more people are saying he is the fun size Jim Tomey. Yes. He is. 
he is he is carrying on the tradition. Actually, is fun size the actually the little ones? Like if you get a fun size Milky Way, it's actually not bigger; it's smaller, isn't it? Little, yeah. So that really didn't work, but I think you know what I'm saying. I I think we know what you're talking about. Sonny share, man. If you want your minor league teams to be fun, you want to get Sonny share. I I've had a whole lot of fun watching this dude play this year. Uh, what a great pickup in the transfer portal. What a what I mean, I think he's one of the great case studies of why the transfer portal works. I just need the Braves, by the way, eleven straight wins, no big deal. The Atlanta Braves to draft Sonny Deshera or do something to get him get him around. I think he's gonna be one if he ever gets to the show, if he ever makes it to the majors, I think that's gonna be a day where Auburn fans are going to tune in where or like try to tune in wherever he is to watch him play. Like, cause I think he's gonna have that He's gonna have that uh, that cachet in the hearts and minds of Auburn players uh, of Auburn baseball and and folks who aren't necessarily cut and dry baseball fans. I mean, it's been a while since Auburn's had quite a. They've had some really good players. I mean, obviously Casey Mize stands out, but like a hitter, it's been a while since they've had a dude who was just the guy like 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 he is. So, Braves do the right thing here. I have an idea this week. If you're a subscriber to Observer, and even if you're not, you might be able to check out some of it. I have a deeply off-season basketball thing that I've been wanting to do for a while and was trying to figure out when to pull the trigger on it, and I'm going to pull the trigger on it this week. It is going to be very, very off-season, but uh, I hope you guys enjoy it because um, I've had a lot of fun putting it together. So check that out later this week. If you're a subscriber, AuburnObserver.com, $6 a month to $6 a year. We'd really appreciate it if you joined up with us because – if you like the show and you like what we do, we are 100% funded from you guys. Uh, so your subscription money makes this all happen. Uh, and we will be back later in the week again if Auburn baseball makes it to Omaha. We'll have another baseball podcast. We'll, t- we'll preview the Cows World Series then. If they don't, don't worry. We'll still be back. And we might have a special guest on for that as well. That'll do it. Painter, final thoughts. Who holds the record for most career home runs in World Series play? Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, Duke Snyder, Yogi Berra. So, Duke Snyder is the one that seems kind of out of place out of all those, so I'm going to go with that one. Mantle with 18 World Series home runs topped Babe Ruth's previous record by three. The Mick. <laughs>